Hey, it's episode five of How I Got This Gig. Today on the show, me. That's right, we turn the tables and it's my turn to tell my story of how I got this gig. Hey, and welcome to the show, How I Got This Gig. My name is Dean Rainey, and I'm your host for today. I'm also the guest today. Is that weird? I hope not. Actually, it won't be me interviewing myself. I brought in my video twin, Berman, to uh, do the interview. In fact, it was his idea to put me in the hot seat and, and tell my story. So if there's anyone to blame, it's Berman. Hey, did you know that Berman and I, a.k.a. the Video Twins, also do consulting? Yeah, you can book us online through Clarity FM, and we can set up a telephone call to discuss any of your video production needs or questions. Like, a lot of people call us, they want to talk to us right before they begin filming, and they want us to look at their setup, maybe, or we'll look over their scripts. Sometimes we get a rough cut. We Somebody sends us a rough cut, and we get feedback on it, what's working, what's not. This is a great way for you to get expert professional help without the cost of flying somebody in and the expenses that go with that. So that's clarity.fm forward slash Dean Rainey or clarity.fm forward slash Berman Lamb. I don't want to overwhelm you with call to actions there, but there are two video twins, so I've got to plug us both. Perhaps we should just make a single one for the video twins. I don't know. I don't know if that's possible. But anyways, again... If you want consulting, if you have a question, you can book us for a half hour. It's like 50 bucks or something like that. It's really reasonable. That's clarity.fm forward slash Dean Rainey and clarity.fm forward slash Berman Lamb. If all of that is lost, just come back to the home base. That's videotwins.com. Okay, on with the program. I'm the guest today. Uh, I'm going to be sharing my story, so I'm not going to add any additional stories here. Uh, you know, sometimes I like to share a little something that might be or might not be on topic for whatever our guest is talking about. But today it's me. Today it's it's my story and you'll you'll hear that it really wasn't a straight shot to get from where I was to where I wanted to be. There's a lot of uh, a lot of detours, a lot of detours, a lot of travel, a lot of food jobs and a lot of changing of directions, I guess you would say. Anyways, I don't want to ramble anymore. There's enough of me in this episode. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Berman's conversation with me. And we're going. We're going. Well, welcome back to the podcast. Aren't you hosting it? I am. Well, not today. Not today. Today it's you. Yeah, yeah. I think it's about time because, you know, you love hosting. You're a great host. <laughs> By the way, I got to say, I got a lot of people really? you know, texting me, not just like me asking them, texting me going, wow, the podcast is great. Uh, Berman, you could be better. Dean is great. <laughs> Dean is awesome. I love him. Oh, yeah, that's nice. I think, I think you got some nice. crushes out there for you. Oh, great. I do love the sound of my own voice, especially <laughs> through a microphone. Yeah, there's something about that. Is that, that. the reason no, why I'm you just... always insist on wearing headphones? I just yeah, want to I hear gotta, myself. I just got to hear it back. <laughs> <laughs> I've been outed. No. No, it's great. It's great that we're doing this, I think. Um, so oh. far, we've done, what, four or five episodes that we've recorded. And uh, I've enjoyed having these conversations with people about their journeys. Absolutely. I've heard some other, uh, I mean, apart from... Are the one that you did with me. Yeah, I've heard uh, the other ones that you've done, and they're fantastic. A meet, 
great job on that. I think he had a lot of value that he provided. I think uh, so too. Yeah. yeah. And I think for those who haven't heard him, uh, he's a great guy. You know, when I first came back, he he offered me a lot of help in terms of you know understanding the industry here and everything, and also uh, you know helping me meet people of this industry. So yeah, for those who haven't heard that episode, you should definitely tune in. Dean also gives a great uh, little intro about his little journey. A little bit. Yeah, which you know from I've known you for the longest time. You're a great storyteller, but the reality is. you have a lot of great stories. That's the reason why you're able to tell these great stories. So, you know, for this podcast, I think it's it's fitting to get a little bit more of your story to the whole thing. Right. The tables are turned. The tables are turned. Yeah. Definitely time for you to have your story, or at least part of your story told. As much as I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you, got, you got a very interesting beginning as well. I mean, you started where? In a small town. Yeah. I grew up in a small town, uh, an hour and a half outside of Toronto, which was its only saving grace because we could get into the city to like see concerts and, and, and get some culture. But really, I was in a small town. It was like 3,000 people. We did not have cable TV. The only time I got to watch cable is when we went down to Florida to visit my grandparents and I would just mass tape all kinds of MTV and Comedy Central and all this stuff and bring it home and my buddies and I would all watch it and, and enjoy that. So so while other people were coming back from the States with like clothing and everything. Liquor and duty free cigarettes. You, you had VHS <laughs> I tapes? I had cultural content, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're coming from a small town, so did you, did, you know, like you said, you went to Florida and all this stuff. Did you ever decide to move out to to the big city? Like, you know, how did that happen? I knew it was going to happen. I knew I would have to be in Toronto. I love Toronto. We would come and visit it often with friends. We we actually, the the first thing that brought me into the city was to come see the skin doctor. The skin doctor. The skin doctor to have my acne looked at 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 a dermatologist specialist here only in the city, right? And we would come in. And uh, we'd hit Chinatown and the Eaton Center and all this stuff and see the doctor, get a haircut. And I'd pick up all the CDs I could from the head shops on uh, Young Street and that. And then we'd go back and take it all back. And, and so that was my first taste. But I just knew I loved Toronto. I loved the city. It was just the opposite of where I came from. And so I just gravitated towards those urban centers. So you, you loved the you know, television culture and all that stuff. You, you were talking about you know getting VHSs, getting taped and everything. So when you were in school, did you ever... you know? go, okay, I'm going to go into television. I'm going to you know, do TV, video, or film, or something like that. I knew from an early age that that was what I wanted to do. I was enamored with television. I mean, I loved movies and film, and I tried to be sort of a cinephile, but I really loved television. I know a lot of people back in the day didn't view television as this highbrow, as film, but I just loved it. I loved uh, you know, uh, sketch comedy. I loved sitcoms. I loved dramas. I loved like documentaries. I loved how news was produced. I dreamed of having Dean Rainey Broadcasting System is what I really dreamed of, or Dean Rainey Studios. So when we were young and we were able to rent uh, VHS cameras from the local video store, uh, my buddy and I would uh, rent the camera, and you'd get 24 hours with it, I think, and we would spend that entire 24 hours filming sketches and comedy bits and all of that. I mean, it was literally 24 hours of finished product as well because we didn't know how to edit or cut or anything, so they would just go on. And then my parents and my family, they would sit through them. And so you they tortured were, your they family. Were horrible. They're, well, my family, for some reason, loved them. I think it was just so, it was so new, so novelty. There was no YouTube. There was no, you don't see yourself on camera. So you were doing YouTube at home. Yeah, but parent tube, I guess. Parent They were the only people that were watching it. But then they would make other family members that came down to visit sit through these, and I was always, you know... Kind of embarrassed, kind of flattered, like, 
but you, there was there were some moments. There were a few moments in them that that you know would get a laugh or something. How much did you spend on that camera for twenty four hours? I think it was like forty bucks or something like that, which was a lot that of money. A lot when of money grade, back then, yeah. We, I guess we were grade nine, and you know the people, uh, our classmates thought we were ridiculous until we started passing them around, and then everyone would would watch them and go, yeah, these are pretty wacky, like these are pretty <laughs> crazy. So from that, I graduated into doing any school project. You know, if I was struggling with it or whatever, I just did a video. <laughs> did a video for the pro- final project and always got an A. And that always brought my grade up. So what was the equivalent of a 10-page essay? Would be like a 15-minute comedy sketch based on, I don't know, Hamlet or whatever. <laughs> so I would figure out a way to do it in video. So you tell your teacher the, the night before, can you uh, help us book the uh, audio-video system? Because we're going to put on a show. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> it was great. And I'd get other people to star in them. And I'd write the scripts and film it. And then I'd get got more into editing and titles and stuff like that. So, so when did you find yourself leaving? Like, when was the time where you like got your suitcase, went to New York City, and got tricked into porn? Right. That that didn't happen. <laughs> that would be quite a, quite a story, though, if it did happen. The next level, kind of, was that I had a cable TV show when I was in high school. You did? Yeah. Did you not know that? I think I or knew vaguely? about your videos. I, well, I, yeah. don't, I know. I think I do. Okay. Well, but, I'll tell it yeah, to tell you me about that. The, the audience. So just to show you how serious I was, you know, I think a lot of people are surprised. They ask me, how did you get into film and video and how long you've been doing it? And I'm like, literally 25, 30 years. Like, have I been at this? Which maybe I should be a lot better than I am. But anyway... <laughs> Yes, we were in a small town. We didn't have cable, but that was the time of Wayne's World and community access, and I, and I knew the next town over had cable. I'm going to go there, and I'm going to pitch them this show. We'll do this comedy show. How old were you then? I was 16, 17. Because, 16, 17? Yeah, 16, 17. I was at, at the same time, I was, working, I was going to school. I was working at the Chinese restaurant in our town. I, at the same time, owned a sports card and collectible store. I interned at a production company, and I produced this TV series. So, like, school was on the bottom of my list of priorities. I was getting real-world experience. I was making money. I was trying to do everything I could because I thought it would better prepare me for the next steps, but it didn't. I thought I was building this awesome reel. Like, look what I've done. I'm 15, 16, 17. I'm making all these videos. I'm learning how to cut scenes together. I'm script writing, everything. I thought, I'm a shoe-in for film school. So I applied to York University, and I applied to Ryerson, which had just become a university, I think, at that time, and uh, Humber, and Carleton, Carleton in Ottawa for some reason. And I didn't get into any film program. I got into Humber, which was, which was, which was college, but I didn't get into Ryerson film program, and I did not get into the York program. What were they looking for? Marks. They Marks wanted they, in what? Grades. They wanted, they wanted you to have higher grades is basically what it came down to. So my priorities were all out of whack, right? Because my grades were not great because I was well, doing this other... Well, you video essays yeah, instead ex- of actual essays. Exactly, right? <laughs> so I didn't get into the film program at York, but I got, they offered me the creative writing program. Wow, okay. Which, in hindsight, I should have thought about more and maybe taken that as an option, but I, my ego was too big. No way, man. I've been making videos for too long, I thought. I'm going to film school. And so I, I sort of turned my back on all the programs here, and I went to a film school in the States. And so that's when I left the, the small town. Wow. So you didn't just come to Toronto. You went. Like, I, I had to leave the left country. the country. I literally had to leave the country. You were sick of it. This is ridiculous. I'm out of here. I'll be honest with you. I was pretty bitter because I was like, look, I have proven that I am... 
This is, I eat, sleep, and breathe this stuff, and you just want to see me have an A in chemistry. Okay, so that's where ang- your angry, bitter yeah. self has started to emerge. Because you're a bitter guy now. Oh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So, so you went to Florida, and like, how, how was film school there? Was it everything it was you expect? No, no, it was horrible. Really? It was absolutely horrible. I found out about the school. I'm not going to say it's horrible. I mean, life is life. You already it, did, so yeah. just keep it going. I found out about the school because it had an ad in the back of the Rolling Stone magazine. Really? So I will set that up for you. It's called Full Sail Center for Recording Arts. It's now changed its name, I think, because now it's grown massively. I decided to go down there. Now, look, the decision to go down there was twofold. One, I was going to film school. And two, my grandparents lived down there. And I'd always been very, very close with my grandparents. And I had always had the dream of maybe studying somewhere close to them to spend a significant amount of time around them. So that's why I did this. And my parents, my goodness, bless their heart. They were good. They were great. Because, yeah, they wanted me to go to university. They wanted me to go to college. Because this school down there, they, you know, it was a technical school. Mm. It was a very, very expensive technical school. And I was a foreign student. So they had to have all this money up front. I mean, when we went through the border into the U.S., I had to get that student visa. And I had to present them a check that was basically my tuition and living expenses for the next two years to prove that I could support myself. When you cross the border. When you cross the border and everything. So I was in. A lot of people sneak in. You should have just done that. I know. They're building a wall, though. Are they? Yeah. That's to prevent people like me from coming in. (laughs) So I moved down there and, you know, it's, it's, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. The worst of times because Orlando's not a great city, uh, culturally. Mm -hmm. It's kind of artificial Mm -hmm. and that's just the influence of Disney and that's the reality. Yep. It's uh, it's a wannabe hot spot for film and television, but it just isn't. It gets everything kind of second rate. Right. Um, the school was all dudes, so that was very tough. Like it was like <laughs> yeah, like there'd be two girls in a, in your class. Right. And so socially, that was like it was just like being at a boarding school. That's kind of sad. Um, I went down when I was nineteen, so I was legally able to drink in Canada. But when I went down to college, like to film school, it, that was taken away from me because now I had to be twenty one. Yeah. Okay. So that that sucked. That sucked. Um, the school was very technical. We had the best equipment to work with, top of the line, whatever you wanted. But there was nothing about the craft behind it, or very little. Do you think that's the same with all technical schools out there? Maybe technical schools, but I think film schools, maybe at York or Ryerson, or like you, have, you went to U of T, and yeah. that was more theory. That was all theory. It was all theory. Complete so off maybe theory. that's not perfect either. Mm-hmm. But I think coming through it all, I, I realize and I understand, no, learn the craft understand the craft all the gear and the technical is changing constantly so would you have done it differently then that's what i think about sometimes is because maybe if i had gone into creative writing it would only been for one year i would have been writing i loved writing and Mm -hmm. and writing is so important to my career and then i could have transferred over and then i would have found out their film school is a joke anyways (laughs) you know (laughs) film school is everywhere buddy's film school is a little bit of a joke so how many years did you spend in in florida in the school before you got out of there so two years there okay but the Friends that I made there, there was a group of us, three guys, four guys, five guys. Man, those were friends for life. Right. And some of the funniest guys I know, um, we, I, I found a writing partner there that was right into comedy like me, and we wrote a whole bunch of stuff, and we pitched it to the, the lecturer at the school who was uh, their big claim to fame because he had worked on Happy Days and uh, Parenthood and a lot of stuff like that, and he kind of mentored us a little bit. So that was good. I mean, we did a, I did a lot of writing. Um, 
I learned about myself, I guess. It was an awkward year. No, socially. that's college, right? You're yeah. supposed to learn. But, well, without the alcohol, it's not No alcohol, easy. no women. So it was... It was You're really <laughs> learning about yourself. Really you know learning about myself. <laughs> I'll tell you what was big for me there. I learned to read. You learned to read? I learned to read during wow. that two years there. I, of course, I'm literate. I can read a book. <laughs> but I didn't read for enjoyment. I never did up until that point. You know, that's I was the thing, too busy. That's the part where I still haven't actually gotten that part in life. And I think that's the biggest regret I have is like learn to read for enjoyment. And to, to me, me, it's a chore. Yeah. Yeah. Every book that I read at that point had been assigned to me. Mm. And then my roommate, he said, you know what? I got this uh, book I just read because he was reading it and he was r- laughing out loud. And I said, okay, I, I got I to gotta read this. And what is it? And he said, it's Kurt Vonnegut, um, Breakfast of Champions. And I read that book and it just blew my mind. Really? Oh, just, uh, it was so unlike anything else. Uh, it was so self-referential and the characters just rang true and it was funny. Short sentences, short paragraphs, asides. It blew my mind. And, and then from then on, I just read, 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 read. And it hasn't stopped. Wow. It seems like some of this, uh, some advice I've gotten from past some great directors I've worked with, it's the same thing. Always find time to read and write. Yeah. Because that's all you need in terms of becoming a great director or becoming whatever you want to be is read and write. So, I mean, that's, that's interesting. I've never heard of that from you. Is like, so I, that's what you got from the two years, learning to read and Absolutely. write. Absolutely. So I look back and I go, yeah, that was a really hard time socially. Uh, you know, education-wise, it was a little bit like, mm, I don't know if this is I, you know, the best bang for my buck. Um, because also I was Canadian, so coming out of the school, anybody who was offering jobs weren't going to offer them to me because I'd have to have a visa and there was a lot of complications. So right. I knew so I was going come right back. back to Canada. Right. But yeah, the friends I made there were great. And then just really discovering reading, I got to say. So, so what did you do after the two years? So I moved back to Toronto. And Toronto or back to your no, hometown? Oh, I went right to Toronto. Oh, really? I did not pass go. I did not collect $200. <laughs> I probably collected $200 from my parents and then went right to Toronto. Yeah, I was just set on... Working here, uh, I had a friend who was uh, still studying at York, and so I crashed with him, and I took whatever work I could, which the first job I had was uh, a bagel shop at York University in their mall there. So I worked there. <laughs> Is that your first job? That was my first job. You'll find through my story, it's me and food are oddly connected, or foods, the, the food service industry are oddly connected throughout <laughs> my entire Career. career, right? Yeah, right. So I, I found an apartment downtown on Borden Street, which is just on the north end of Kensington Market. I loved it. I was right. like right in the heart of it. This is when it was not cool to live downtown. Poor people and immigrants lived downtown, and right. me, and you. Now it's all changed. All the rich people want to live downtown, but but I was there, and I wanted to be there, and I would commute up to York University to do my job up there, <laughs> and then I would volunteer on any film, television, anything I could find. Uh, I just got in touch with people. I was so shy. I still am, but I was so shy, and I had a real hard time with this because I'm not a good schmoozer. Okay. Some people are. In this business, to be honest, you got to be a schmoozer. Yeah. You got to be a self promoter. Right. I was reliable, and I showed up, and I didn't miss a day, and I did what I could. Need. At the big old shop. Yeah. Yeah. So and in these other gigs too, where I, like for YTV, they'd have a promo that would they would be shooting. It'd be like one or two days work and get 150 bucks or whatever, and then. And what were you doing connect. for YTV? Like, PA. PA. Oh, PA. Okay. Oh yeah. It was for the channel, but it was a film shoot. So it was on film. It was two days. It was like a commercial shoot. Oh, wow. So it wasn't done in the TV station. They'd rent a studio. They'd have some young guys doing it all. They don't do that anymore. They don't do that anymore. At least not not with film. Not like that. No, no, no. So I was just getting a taste of that. And that was cool. The people were fine. You know, not a lot of learning on set because you're just busy with doing other stuff. So with all these small little jobs, what, what job, what first job was like, oh, man, this is my first break 
into something more than just PAing for like YTV? Well, the first one where I thought perhaps I'm making it okay. is when I got into craft service. Craft service, there craft you go. Service, it again, right? I was preparing all the snacks, not the meals, because they still had a caterer for lunch and dinner, but all the throughout the day snacks and the craft table and all that. And uh, that's what I did. And I only say I made it because I was working on really big movies. Because I, I did Booty Call with uh, Jamie Foxx. Wow, okay. And then that's, and I actually met Vivica Foxx. She just came back from the premiere of, is it Independence Day? Was her breakthrough movie? Yes, I believe and, so. And this was her second movie, Booty Call. And she came on the craft truck and she was like, oh my gosh, guys, I just came back from the premiere of Independence Day and it is amazing. And it was. It was a great movie. Yes, fantastic. And she was fantastic in it. She was so nice and she was hot. <laughs> Jamie Foxx, he was a gentleman and he was funny. So anyways, I did that movie. I did Murder at 1600, which is Wesley Snipes, Snipes I believe. Yeah. 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 And then, of course, the story that I shared previously, uh, the, the film with Brian Dennehy, which was great. And then the film Elvis Meets Nixon, which was not so great. Uh, anyway, so there you go. So I was doing the food on, on movies. Doing the food on movies. And that's how you got on. So the bagel gig actually got you onto these trucks. Yeah. Well, I just had, you know, I'd worked in the Chinese restaurant I'd worked in a couple other restaurants, and so I was comfortable with food. Do you know anybody that's gone through that route, you know, into the food truck and then moved on into, you know, further deeper into the no. industry? No. Most, it's one of those jobs where it's like you're either going to do what I did and really just suck it up and, and, and just jump to that other side and try to make it, or you're going to go, no, I'm going to go, you know, open up a gas station or something, or I'm going to go be a teacher. I'm, I'm getting as far away as, from this industry as I can <laughs> kind of thing. But if anybody out there has got a story, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. That could be a movie itself, the food truck guy. Yeah. Right? Of course. He sees everything. He's there all day around everybody. He's and got he access. feeds the entire crew. Yeah. 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 He so. can make people have diarrhea. Famous people have diarrhea if he wanted to. He has oh, so much control. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, you have total control over uh, their dietary needs. <laughs> and <laughs> So what would you do after that? I mean, you said, I, I remember your last year was like, I got to get out of here. I'm done. Yeah. Right? So I think I made the move to television right after that. And where was your first te television gig? I, I guess I freelanced a little bit at the CBC, again, just as a runner. Right. As a runner, a PA, and stuff like that. How come that route didn't really work out for you? Well, the CBC is unionized, mm -hmm. so it takes a lot of things to happen to and get you in there, and those weren't happening, because I'm talking three, four, five days, right. and, then I, and then I was off to something else. Um, so that didn't really click, and what I realized on these film shoots was that the next step for me was probably, okay, it was two things. I could go in, I could try to get into the Director's Guild, mm -hmm. which meant that I would be a TAD, a training assistant director. And then the route would be, you know, third AD, second AD, AD. But I realized very quickly, those guys are just coordinators. Right. They're not creatives. Right. They're coordinators. They may want to be directors, but it's not a guaranteed move up the ladder. So that's not exactly the right route to take if you want to go that direction. Exactly. Because I didn't want to be coordinating my whole life. Mm -hmm. And I looked at the other route, which would be locations. 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 So I started out as an assistant locations manager. You're a garbage man and a pylon picker. Yeah. I didn't want to do that either because what I was really looking for was for opportunities to learn for people to teach me so I needed to get as close to that director uh, producer area in the video village as I could and none of these jobs were really going to take me there because as an AD you're, you're on the truck you're on the truck and you're on the walkie and you're doing that stuff so I thought okay I'm done 
with uh, film. I maybe maybe television is where I I need to be. And so I also I also had another thought, which was I need more education. Okay. If I'm going to be a creative, and I'm going to be creating content, I need to I need to have more knowledge. Right. I did not get that knowledge from film school in Florida. In Florida. Maybe I'll get it from university. So I gave in, okay. and I went, I went to York. You went to York. I went so to you York. went from the I bagel applied. shop to yeah. buying bagels at So the I'd worked shop. for about maybe three years. There was a period in this time, too, where I was working on my dad's ginseng farm before I decided <laughs> to go back to school. So I had an apartment in Toronto, and I would drive to Waterford on like Sunday night, and I, and I would work on my dad's ginseng farm all through the week, and then I would come back on the weekend, maybe, maybe come back on the Friday so I could go around and hand out resumes and everything. That's right. For those who don't know, Dean's family... Their fortune came from growing <laughs> ginseng. We are ginseng rich. So if you're asking, where did he get all that money to go to film right. school in Florida? It was all ginseng money. It was all money. ginseng money. All right. ginseng money. So I remember driving uh, out of the city on the Gardener and looking at that city in the sky, in the, in the river mirror and thinking, okay, Toronto, you kicked my ass this week. I'm going to put up shade on the ginseng farm, but I will be back and I will be back to kick your ass. And I get, I don't know if I did or not, but anyways... So, and you didn't go through the route to, towards the route of selling ginseng in Toronto. Oh yeah, well there's a story there. There's yeah. a story there's there. There's a story there. Yeah. So while I was struggling, you know, because you're making like 150 bucks a day and you're getting maybe one or two days of work a week, and I had stopped doing craft service. I was done with that. It was just it was not an environment I wanted to be in, and I was just taking any kind of job that I could. I came up with the idea. Well, look, I'm like a couple blocks from Chinatown. <laughs> I see where that's Why don't from. I just ask my dad if he wants to bag up like, uh, I think one pound, two pound bags, Ziploc bags of ginseng. And I'll just go out on the street because there's all kinds of street vendors, all kinds of old, elderly Chinese women selling uh, herbs and vegetables from the garden. I'll just sell some ginseng. So you're the white guy in Chinatown selling ginseng. Yeah. So I had some Chinese friends and they made up a sign for me. They taught <laughs> me how to say... Uh, uh, Canada, Yansam, Yao Pang, Yao Lang. Which is can- Canadian ginseng, good quality for cheap, cheap price. For cheap price. <laughs> and uh, so I did that for like, you know, a couple months. And I got to know the, these elderly Chinese women there and we would help each other if we saw the police because this was all. See, that's another, that's another story for film. They can make a movie <laughs> out of that too. I know. And I think I if you search hard enough on YouTube, you might actually find that episode <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> and so I remember... The time I had to stop, it was Chinese New Year, and I was on Dundas, and I was making a, I was making a killing. Oh, wow. Well, the funny thing is about Chinese people is they have a real mob-buying mentality. So I could sit there with my sign and yelling out my stuff in Chinese, and no one would look at me. But the moment that one person stopped, they all came. Because they've got a real fear of missing out, I think. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, for sure. And they live line up. So is there someone yes. lining up for something? So I have line up, too. Yeah. Even if it could be around the corner. They don't know what's the other, at the other side, <laughs> yeah. and they're still lining up because they don't want to miss out. So once I got that one person, and then I was just selling left and right, and it was Chinese New Year, and everybody's buying from me, and I'm trying to haggle in Chinese as much as I can, and I get a tap on the shoulder, and I turn around, and it's, it's a cop. Oh, it's wow. a metropolitan Toronto police officer. What happened to all the other vendors beside you? Did they no, because just... we're all kind of spread out. Oh, okay. And, and I was so busy that I didn't hear them yell out, Gingja! Gingja! Chinese for police. Because <laughs> I was just selling. So you knew that word too. You, they already yeah, told yeah, you about yeah. this. So like you the ran three before. things that I needed to worry about were <laughs> your price, how quality, and the police. Or <laughs> so I turn and he's like, what the heck are you 
doing? Like, I, he, I must have made a story for him because right. he had never seen this. And I said, well, I'm selling ginseng. He said, you can't sell ginseng on the street. I said, but, <laughs> but it's Chinatown. And it's he Chinese said, New Year. Yeah, right? He said, it doesn't matter. Where's your health certificate? Where's your vendor's permit? How do I know this isn't stolen? And so I said, well, it's not stolen. And I pulled out my dad's business card. And I'm like, look, my dad's a ginseng farmer. We grow it. Yeah. I thought I could just come. I needed some money. And he said, you can't. You can't. And so that's when the customers started to speak up on my behalf. And one of the ladies said, hey, come on. It's Chinese New Year. He's just trying to make some money. Just leave him alone. He said, all right, pack your stuff up. Get out of here. I don't want to see you selling ginseng on the street again. So. And that was the end of that it. That was the end of that. Well, you made a killing. I mean, I did all right. Yeah. yeah you survived. And, and it was a story, and uh, he, was, he was fine. I mean, he had to laugh. Like, it was ridiculous. And the fact that I just thought, Chinatown, anything goes, <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> well, it's true, yeah. too. Certainly. You just have to know when they say Gingta, it means China, right. means right. police means run. Run. So run. as long as you know that, anything goes. Cover up your, your goods and, and get out of there. Exactly. So, okay, so back to the story of, like, that's a nice side story, but back to the story. You were in uh, York for a couple years, I assume? Yeah, so I went back and I said, okay, well, I'm just going to get as much knowledge and general information as I can, and so I'm going to study English literature, because I I love reading now, all of a sudden, and then it was like, it was a pretty expensive way to pay for a reading list, though. (laughs) Like, somebody tell me what to read, but I did it, and I enjoyed it. It brought me out of my shell, and and I did way better at it as a mature student than I would have probably going directly from high school. So it's really all... Yeah, of course. And you got to drink too? I was able and to drink. And there were women? And there were women there, although I was a, not a lot older, but, you know, I was... they like older men. I guess. So at this point of the story, I mean, it's still... I don't see where you kind of transition back into, you know, where you are today. Okay. Okay, you finish literature. You study literature. You're okay. done. No, I'm not done. You're not done. I'm not done. Because at the same time, I say, you know what? I might want to go to Hong Kong. Where did that... Oh, because your time in Chinatown? My time in Chinatown. <laughs> if Chinatown is this cool, what could Hong exactly. Kong be like? It's a bigger Chinatown. Hong Kong has always had a special place in my heart because of my family's background, right? Selling Buyers ginseng and selling like ginseng. Yeah. The Chinese restaurant that I grew up working in in high school. So they were from out of Hong all Kong. the restaurants in your small town, you worked at the Chinese restaurant. Right, because they paid the best. And they were the most generous owners. They were great to the community. Yeah. Uh, it was a great experience there. So I got to eat real Chinese food, not like... Not the stuff they served outside, the, the, ser- yeah, the yeah, serving in the kitchen. With okay. the cooks, yeah, so I got to, and I was just like, wow. Like, I got to tell you, people are like, oh, I love Thai food. Oh, I love uh, uh, Sichuan food yeah. or Shanghai. Dude, I love, like, southern, like, Cantonese. Cantonese food. cuisine. I love the ginger and the garlic, dude. I just love, right. and that's what it all is. So I was just really pulled towards that, the food. Okay. So I thought, you know what? I probably can't go to New York City because I have to, I, I, I have to get a visa. But and New York City was one of the options of you? Well, you th- I thought, you think about it, right? Like, I would love to be able to do that. To I guess, go to yeah, New York that's true. City. Okay. I love, I want to go urban. Yeah. LA was kind of like, okay, yeah, that's Hollywood, but it's not like I love tall buildings. I want to go up. But wait, you wanted to go to these cities for what? To get into to film? To see the world. Just to see to the see world, the world and to, to get into film. Okay. Or television or to do whatever I could, I could do. So New York wasn't really an option because I was still just such an entry-level person in the industry. Like, right. no one's going to go to bat for me and get a visa right. for a PA. There are, you know, there are literally tens of thousands of those in New York City already. Right. You have to be a specialist right. or something before they can bring you in. So I'd always had this inkling that maybe I would go overseas to, to Asia and probably be Hong Kong. Right. So what I thought was, okay, hey, there's a Chinese TV channel in Toronto. 
<laughs> so, so that was your stepping stone? That was my stepping stone. So I thought, well, I'm in university, so I'm in a safety zone because I've got, you know, I've, I've saved money, I've got money, got a little bit of loan. So that's what I'm really doing, is I'm doing my, my degree in English literature. So at the same time, I don't have to go make, work really, really, really hard and make a lot of money. I can just kind of work this job where I'm, I'm going to meet different people and I'll see if this is something that I'm interested in. Yeah. I get to eat all this food, so that's awesome. <laughs> uh, and then it could maybe be a transition over to there, I guess. I kind of thought, maybe. Right. Who knew? So what happened was a photographer that my dad knew, who always came down to the farms and took photos of the ginseng, yeah. and for magazines like the Air Canada magazine and all that, he loved my dad. Yeah. And he was like so interested that I wanted I was in television. Yeah. So he's like, if you want to work at this Chinese TV station, I know who you call. Okay. So I thought, well, this is great. I mean, it's just so funny how all this stuff happens, yeah. right? This is a, a, an in from my parents who had no connection to Toronto at yeah. all, really, as farmers, but other than this. So I called up Henry Mock, or I sent an email or a letter. I think maybe a letter at that time because I wasn't sure about email and who had it and whatnot. Right. But I sent a, I sent a letter and I said, I'd really like to come and have a tour of your TV station. Here's the guy that recommended me to do it. So he, he called me in. And I think he was excited that this white guy wanted to come and have a little bit of a tour. Right. And then I said, I'd really like to work for you. <laughs> During the tour? During the tour. Okay. And he's like, What? Say that again? Because my English, I'm not sure. So you, you bust I, out your ginseng is, is, <laughs> yeah, uh, is like, beautiful and cheap. And then he's yeah, like, oh, you can me. speak Chinese. He's like me. Yeah. <laughs> so he said, what? You, I said, I'd like to work here. Is there an opportunity? What, what an experience this would be. This is so far from where I have come. Yeah. So you were impressed by the tour then for you to go, now I want to work here. Yeah. I thought that there's enough things interesting going on. I just felt like I needed to get out of whatever was going on in the mainstream because right. I wasn't learning mm -hmm. and I wasn't making the connections and it just didn't, it just, I don't know. So I thought, well, I'm doing this time out while I'm in school. Let me do something that's completely bizarre, but right. still kind of in the realm of what I want. So I met, he took me down and he said to the head of the cameraman, Alex, Alex. Yeah. He said, well, this guy's wants a tour, show him what you got, because he wants to see all the gear and everything. So I got to see the studio, I got to see the control room, I got all this, so. Yeah, I got the same tour as well. Right? Yeah, from Alex, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he kept asking me, you wanna, you wanna work here? You wanna work here? Because at this time, I didn't know that it was like, not a great place to work for morale. <laughs> for morale, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a complicated place to work. I was just a naive young person right. from a small town. Yeah. So I said, uh, yeah, yeah, I do. Anyway, so we finished the tour and I'm like, I don't think they're giving me a job. But I send a card to Henry and I said, Henry, thank you so much for the tour. So exciting to see what you're doing. If anything ever opens up, any opportunity, please let me know. I would love to be part of what you guys are doing. Boom, get a call, come on in. Really? Yeah, okay. Job. So you drove all, well, actually you were at York at that time, right? No, but I was still living downtown. You're still living downtown. Yeah. Okay, so all so the time I worked at Fairchild, right. I had to commute, commute from, from downtown. downtown. And that's where your, your kind of career started. Is that, is that, would you consider that the job that kind of launched your career? Not kind of, kind of, kind of, because it's still steps, right? right. I, I think, True. yeah, that was, that was big for me in the sense it didn't pay well at all. Right. I mean, we were making slightly above minimum wage. Right. The only good thing was you got tons of hours because you would shoot on a show and it would be like a 17-hour day. 
yes, and you, that's or true. you would do like two days and it was like 40 hours in those two days, right? Sometimes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you would be getting like volume hours, which worked great for me while I was at school. The other advantage was some of the people that work there yeah. were very experienced and highly talented film and television people from Hong Kong. Really? Who had, well, you know this. Have, <laughs> I'm trying to be a host. I know. Really? But, tell me more about that. What do you, what's the deal with that? So they had come to Canada to sort of semi-retire, maybe with the hope of getting into the industry here, but then finding out, no, there's a language barrier. It's not going to happen. So they've kind of been relegated to this right. Chinese And these are guys that are like out here. Hong Kong cinema at, at its peak too, oh, we're talking about, right? Talking about these guys are from cinema in the late in the 90s, basically, they built the Hong Kong cinema in the 90s. Right. And these guys were from that school. So they had worked with Wong Kar Wai, you know, Comrades in Arms. What's that? Peter oh, Chan. Peter Chan. Peter Chan. Right. Uh, some of the great, just great directors and very innovative cinema. Uh, cinema. Right. So I thought, wow, this is, this is kind of cool. This is all right. So I did that for a little while. Um, and that's the great thing about that place was that, uh, yes, the, the payment had been great and, and the morale, but you just had all this knowledge just sitting there and once you just tap on their shoulder and ask they just want to tell you all the stories exactly for the first time in my career someone was willing to mentor me every other job i had uh uh-uh you're the pa i'm just gonna crap on you because i was crapped on so i will just continue that system right this one was like oh wow Maybe it was because I was a white guy. I don't know, because I was such a novelty there. But they were like, I'm going to show you why we do something the way we do something. Boom. And they taught me how to make something look great for zero money. <laughs> you know? The, yeah, okay. They cut through all the bull crap of what is production and just bar- boiled it down to the nitty gritty of what you need to make something work. Right. Got rid of all the fat. And, right. I, and that taught me a lot. Yeah. Because that would kind of, I'd carry that with me through uh, my career. I met you there. We stayed in touch. We became friends. Yep. I also met Wang Chiwai, who was, you know, he was the guy who really mentored me. He really took me aside. He he was lucky because he got to do a lot of uh, American movies when they selected a Hong Kong director. Yes, that's right. Right? So he got a lot of work that way. So he did the big hit. Yeah. He did a lot of action sequences and stuff like that. That's what he was really good at. Yeah. Yeah. He did the big hit. He did Fearless. He did... Uh, Formula 51, a couple of other like really big Hollywood movies. Whenever they pick a Hong Kong director, that Hong Kong director gets to pick his cinematographer, who in turn gets to pick his camera operator, and nine times out of ten it was Chiwai. It was Chiwai, yeah. 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 And this guy was like, he just had no ego, and he was just going to teach me. And then if I had like little outside side projects, because I, I was always hustling, always yeah. trying to make something. Yes. Always, through all of this. Yeah. Always trying. He would be like, I'll come and shoot it for you. I'll come and shoot it for you. Yeah, to have that high caliber cinematographer in your corner. That's amazing. That was it. So I just thought, wow, this is this is this is crazy, this is bizarre, but this is gold right here. So the big break came for me when I got all my friends together. So at that point I had, you know, I was friends with the talent Mm -hmm. that were on air there. I was friends with you, I was friends with Chiwai, a couple other people from the mainstream that I had worked with, and I said, Okay, I'm making a short film. Yeah. And here's the here's the kicker. I'm going to do it in Chinese and English. And guess what? I'm going to shoot it in my small hometown, and it's going to involve a Chinese restaurant and ginseng. <laughs> because, to be honest, when you're starting out like that, use what you have. Yeah. Use yeah. what you can get your hands on. So I wrote this script, and we all went down for a week or something and stayed there. Oh, my yeah, grandparents flew up from Florida. My grandpa acted in it. 
you were on the crew, Chihuahua, and we shot this sucker. I mean, we did long days and crazy, and it was... It was great, though. Oh. What, what was the name of this? Uh, turnaround. Turnaround. The turnaround. turnaround. Yeah. Yeah. And how can our, our listeners check this piece of masterwork, <laughs> masterpiece, piece of masterwork? This masterpiece. It was a piece of masterwork. <laughs> um, I'll put it in the show notes. I'll see if I can find a All clip right. there or the trailer All or right. something or the full thing. So anyways, I did it. And then I said, okay, I'm going to pitch it to the station because this is unlike anything they've ever seen. And they're going to... I made a mistake, though. I made it in two parts. I said, I'll make part number one because that's all the money I have. Yeah. And then I'll let the station pick it up and maybe they'll pay to make part two. Part two. So it was like a cliffhanger like in the movie and then in the business deal as well. <laughs> I don't remember. It wasn't... Did we only do part one? We only did part one. So I it think, ends with a cliffhanger. You know what we should do? Get everybody together. How many years has it been? Like 15 years? Or 20. Like that? 20 years? And now with everybody older, we do part two. I thought about that. The only problem is my grandfather's passed. Yes. That's the unfortunate. Yeah, he's a great guy. And he was the detective in it. Yeah. But it could be. We could, we could figure out something. Anyways, so I took it to the station and I went to Henry Mock. And I said, Henry, I want to show you something. And I put in the tape. And it's 30 minutes. And usually executives don't watch much. They watch the first five minutes. And they're like, oh, this is great. He watched the whole thing. He watched the whole thing. He watched the whole thing. And he laughed where he was supposed to laugh. And he was like, he turned to me after. And he's like, that, I've not seen anything like that before. <laughs> I said, do you want to put it on the air? Will you help me to make part two? Yeah. And he said, no. <laughs> What's his reasoning? I got something better for you. Oh. Okay. He's like, I can't tell you now, but I'm going to tell you in about three or four weeks. Well. Mm-hmm. That was a tough three to four weeks to find out what the heck that meant, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, did I misunderstand him or what, right? No. And then three or four weeks, he called me in and he said, look, we just got a grant to do a TV series on multiculturalism in Toronto. Okay. Wow. We're going to do seven episodes, uh, seven different cultures, and I want you to direct it. That's huge. That's my big break. That, that's what, okay, your big break. So that came from the turnaround. Came from the turnaround. That's amazing. Yeah. So it was it was definitely adv- advantageous for me to have made that, yep. even though I didn't do anything with it. It showed that I could put a production together, I could direct things, whatever. Right. And he was like, and maybe it helped that I was like the only true English speaking person at the station that they had to pull, but they felt confident to put me on that. Right. So to me, boom, big break there because someone was paying me to direct. Yeah, I still remember that. That was that was a big big thing for you, and I yeah. still remember. That's when I actually, like, we talked about this last time. Like, I had a big shoot. I'm like, I need a super PA. (laughs) But I'm directing. So for for those who listened to the previous one, what he was doing was this big break thing when I dragged him in through the gutter to be my super PA. To empty garbages and put out pylons on your shoot. And deal crap from from other people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'd do it again for you (laughs) as I roll my eyes. (laughs) So that was good. That was about eight months of work. It was six and then it got extended. They did some extra stuff. You know, uh, I got to work with real talent. Uh, I learned a lot. You know, there were there were blood, sweat, tears. I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, we got through it. Yeah. It was, but you got you got to learn to direct. You got to do it. You got to do it. I think. Yeah. You got to be thrown in there. And you got to figure out how the heck. And how did that turn out? Like, how did, how was that? It was received? good. It was nominated for best documentary on a specialty channel. Oh wow! Okay. So that was kind of a nice feather in the cap. It was nominated. Did it win? No. Who won? Oh, something on Discovery. Ugh. So I was just, you know, you're just happy to be nominated. I was just happy to make the thing. Hey, you were competing against Discovery. That's yeah. a big thing, man. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, you know. That. So what happened after that? So then the way that happened was, 
they got the gig and they bought a bunch of equipment. And one of the things they bought was a Media 100, which is a nonlinear editing system. Oh, right. Now, because I had self-taught myself how to edit non-linear, especially I did it on Turnaround, that short film I made. Yeah. I basically taught myself how to edit on what a did computer. You, oh, you computer. What did you cut with that? That was a, I think that was called Razor was the Razor. program. Razor. It was on a PC and it was, it was uh, okay. I think it was like an early premiere or something. Oh, yeah. so it's by Adobe. I don't want to say what it was. Speed Razor. Speed Razor Speed what Razor. it was. Yeah. So they got this machine with the deal for this documentary series and it was like a, you know 30 40 grand but they had no one to use it i was the only one who knew how to use it because so i cut the documentary on it and, and and continued to teach myself and get better and better and better and then that was it there was only me because oh, wow. it was wrapped up in the documentary so then i turned around and started training other producers yeah but i really saw that a lot of these other producers they were really old school and so they had a real hard time what were they using before this it was all tape to tape tape to tape all tape to tape Wow, that's a transition. All the there. commercials, everything. So it was a huge jump, and some of them could not make the jump. Right. Others could, some some couldn't. Anyways, because I knew how to use this Media 100, and I was directing, Chi was like brought me right into a commercial production department that they had started at the station. Oh, that's right. It right. started at that time. They, they too. had spun off a small company called IMP, and they they said, "Okay, come on, you're the only one who knows how to use this, so come in and edit with us." And so I taught the rest of the team, and then I started directing commercials for them. Oh, okay, cool. Huge, huge for me because I had I was in a very safe space. Right. Great mentor like Chi yep. who was experienced. Yeah. Crazy, uh, just crazy motivated me who yep. was willing to try anything. And then we had another producer. Uh, Cecilia CC, who was like a mother, big sister to me, yeah. tons of experience, guided me. Jeff Chan, Jeff Chan, great buddy. We both edited together. I mean, Dora Fong, who I'm hoping to have on the podcast, she was there working and she's gone on to be a great producer in reality TV. We had this great little team and it was, it really was the dream team in my mind. Right. We worked together, we played together. We ate lunch together. We just we went Chinese out. Food together, we yeah. had Chinese food together. We went out for <laughs> drinks afterwards. I mean, we just we helped each other on each other's projects. Blah blah blah. So it was about one year of that, and I learned more than I've ever learned. I think in one year in my life about how things work in this business. And then I said, I'm going to Hong Kong. So how's that for a cliffhanger ending, huh? You know, it wasn't my intention to stretch out my story longer than one episode, but we were getting close to an hour in our interview, and we realized there's kind of two acts to my career thus far. So we're going to do a part two here, and it's not going to come right away. It's going to be a little bit down the road further here. I don't want you to OD on me here, but be sure to watch out for that next episode, because in it, I'm going to be talking about my Hong Kong adventures in television, as well as one failed return to Canada, followed by a triumphant one. Well, sort of. Plus, I'm also going to talk about how I started my production company, and I'm going to share some tips and advice based on what I learned, and I'm going to share them with you so you're not going to want to miss that episode, so watch out for it. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen. If you have any feedback or guest suggestions or or a job you want to find out more about, maybe you've been watching the credits of a movie and you saw something like Best Boy and you want to find out more about that, let us know. We're online at videotwins.com. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. It's not too hard to find us. All right, that is a wrap on this episode. We'll see you next time.